What up, Pie Tribe? Yep, you guys know it. You're my passive income examiner tribe. If you didn't know what that was standing for, well, now you do. That's what's up. And today we are about to dive into episode six where we discuss money mindset. Are you looking for a low pressure strategy to earn extra income, but maybe you're feeling stressed out about all the extra time investment it may cost you? then I know you're going to love our discussion today because it's going to help you change your mind about how much work creating income has to take. Listen, if at any point you feel stuck, maybe you know passive income is in your future, you feel excited about the vision of growing your own revenue stream as an entrepreneur, but you don't know which one is right for you. You feel confused or overwhelmed and you don't know which expert to trust or which course is right or which path to go down. Can I just say, hello, I'm Lindsay Sutherland, and I am here to give you a passive income strategy session. I want to help you navigate the muddy waters of passive income. Grab a one hour call with me and I will deliver to you a passive income roadmap. What fits in best with your personality? What is the vision and the high level how to so you can execute a plan and we will dig into confidence and conquer the fears that are keeping you stuck from taking action. Head on over to Instagram and send me a DM at the passive income examiner. Hey friends, before we dive into episode six, I want to read the review of the week. Today's review comes from Danita King, one of our guests coming up. She says, of course, I was both honored and excited when asked to be a guest on the Passive Income Examiner, but as soon as I met Lindsay, I knew instantly that she was a woman after my own heart, working in her PJs, pursuing her dream job, sharing her passion with others, and boosting fellow entrepreneurs along the way. What's not to love? I most definitely encourage you to check out her podcast to find out how she's doing it, how others are doing it, and how you can too. Thanks, Danita. I'm looking forward to sharing your encouraging words in your interview with the world soon. All right, friends, let's get this party started. So I sat down to write my outline for this episode, and I was going to dive right into terms and some basic understanding of passive income, but my notes were going in a whole different direction, and usually when that happens, it's for a reason. My deepest and truest intention is that the words that I say are meaningful to you and really make an impact in your life. I ended up scrapping most of what I was talking about because I realized that what I'm going to share with you today is truly the beginning to building wealth, to building an income strategy that sets you apart to make money while you sleep. To really explain this concept, I feel I need to share with you where I started from because I realized my story is like many others except with a plot twist and a plot twist that I'm hoping you can duplicate. It all starts with the day I came out of my mother's womb. Psych, no, it didn't start there. Well, maybe, but that's not where my story today starts. Lucky for you. (laughs) I wanted to tell you about this time when I was promoted to manager. Oh, how excited I was. I got new privileges. I got a bit of a raise. I got to hang out with the other managers. I had esteem. I felt like I made it, like I was scaling that ladder. It was all wonderful until I woke up one day to a text message from the opener, the opener of my department, who texted me to say that she couldn't come in on time. So I drug myself in early just to cover her shift and then later discovered that my closer would be calling in too. Guess who was working open to close? Yep, me. 
Or how about the numerous times this happened so often that I intended to take a vacation just to have my bubble burst with one or more employees requesting the same time off. My high horse was quickly brought down by the realization that when others fell through, that meant I had to step up. I began to wonder who was working for who. And I'm sure if you're a manager listening to this podcast right now, I am certain you've gone through this moment as well. And I know plenty of managers personally who've experienced this, and especially middle managers. It seems like to me, maybe this is just my opinion, but it seems like the upper echelon of management never seems to fill in for anyone, (laughs) at least in the larger companies that I've worked at. My work life soon became out of my control. It was so easy as an employee. All I had to do was show up on time, leave on time, usually, sometimes a little bit later. But once I hit management, it seemed like I was showing up based on the needs of the department and I was paid the same whether I worked 45 hours or 60 hours. My husband used to say, you need to take the rocks out of your backpack. And I would just stare at him as if he had three heads like, hello, you don't understand. I think I have a boss to answer to. Over and over again, he would tell me, delegate your tasks, hold the team accountable, get the other people to cover. Time and again, I would have excuses about why that wouldn't work and just claim that really he just didn't understand. It was not until I was about to go on maternity leave that I was forced to delegate. I was forced to hold my team accountable. The team had to step up to cover for each other because I wasn't going to be there. And guess what? It worked. I successfully took time off and the department did not come crashing down. In fact, it was for the most part seamless. I had systemized my department and delegated parts of the system so that it ran smoothly even without me. I wasn't getting that text that someone wasn't able to come in. The team started texting each other and reworking the schedule. I didn't get messages about dogs eating bricks. Oh yeah, that actually happened or kids having runny noses, or people not able to wake up at their alarm time. What else was fascinating was how the team suddenly had answers. You see, I had a knack for remembering facts. I became known as the walking dealership encyclopedia because I knew on a whim what engine took what type of oil, what part numbers went with what recall numbers. I knew how many we had in stock. I also knew things like what transmissions were more problematic than others. Just so much information, and my team all had the same information, by the way, in the manuals and the spreadsheets I created for them, but rather than looking it up, they would often just ask me, except when I was on maternity leave. Suddenly, they could function just fine without me. Now, on one hand, I felt relieved, relieved that I was not coming back to a complete disaster, and of course, not an empty department, everybody stayed, thank goodness. But there was another part of me that wondered if my boss still thought I was necessary. What if they decided they didn't need me anymore? I felt threatened by the idea that I was not needed. What else does that tell us? What else does it say? It says that I felt valuable by being needed. I felt vital. My security, in essence, was wrapped up in the idea that I was a needed person, so to speak. And I got that validation from having the answers and from stepping up when other people fell short and just being that person 
that other people could count on. And although my departments were successful and valuable to the dealership, I found that most of my success came when I started managing the departments rather than working in them. I began to think more like a business owner and less like an employee. My greatest success came when I no longer was running teams of five to seven, but managing a sales and service business development center with around 30 people while handling the marketing for the fixed ops department. I did this because I had learned to scale, systemize, and manage people and processes effectively. Okay, I'm curious, have you read Robert Kiyosaki's book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad? If you haven't, I encourage you to pick up a copy or get it on Audible. And for anyone who doesn't know, Robert's biological dad was very poor, but he had a friend whose dad was wealthy and kind of took him in as a mentee. So Robert essentially had a rich dad and a poor dad. He learned a lot from both, but also got to see a stark contrast between the two, and much of it has to do with mindset. I think at the end of the day, if a guy like Robert Kiyosaki can build a business around money mindset, there is something to be said for that, that it's important. And I think that validates our conversation today, (laughs) if I do say so myself. (laughs) I read the book years ago, but what has always stuck with me was the cash flow quadrant. The cash flow quadrant defines how different people generate their income or money and in my opinion, this is Lindsay talking, how they think about earning money, okay? Now back to Robert's opinion. (laughs) On the left side of the quadrant is the E for employee and an S for self-employed or specialist. They focus on earning income and greatly value a safe, secure job or career. On the right side, the B, the business owner and the investor, focus on creating assets to provide their income source using other people's time and money. After I read this book, I felt it really opened my eyes to understanding income earnings. The thing was, though, and this is hindsight being 2020, I realize now that back then I understood it conceptually. Sometimes knowledge is not power, especially if we're not humble enough to admit we don't really know it all and we just walk around thinking that we do. Not because I think it impedes other people so much as it impedes ourselves. You see, I had read the book, and I did have an epiphany. I had an eye-opening experience, but I hadn't done the work on my mindset, on my personal mindset, that actually shifted me into a new level. Therefore, my behavior was still coming from a place of employee-slash-self-employed, even though I had convinced myself that I already, quote, knew what it meant to think like a business owner or an investor. And how could I know that? I had never actually done it. So there is definitely something to be said for experiential learning. Okay, so today I want to give you some things to think about that will help you, for starters, help you become aware of your current mindset, and two, to start changing it. And let me preface this next part of the the episode by saying there is no good or bad here. I'm not intending any judgment. In fact, I understand that God has blessed the world with people who truly can be happy in all parts of this cash flow quadrant, and I realize more than anything that the world needs people who are happy trading time for money, essentially, right? There's nothing wrong with trading time for money. That's a very honest day's work, but I highly doubt that anyone who is 
in that space of being happy in a regular job, as I might say, is actually drawn to this podcast. This podcast is for people looking to break free from the time versus money dilemma who want the freedom with their schedule, or maybe they're looking for more enjoyment in their in their income strategy. When I'm speaking, I'm coming from the perspective of helping those of you who are looking to radically change your mindset so that you can radically change your life. To start, let's break down the quadrant a little more. The first letter E is for employee. I think we all know what that is, but I want to explain it differently. Employees are those that are trading time for money. And there is an illusion of security because we get used to counting on a regular paycheck. I'm going to tell you where I saw this the most. When I hired BDC agents, many of whom had worked just regular time for money jobs, they clocked in, they clocked out, they got their paycheck. Very few of them ever worked on a commission scale. Our position was a base pay plus commission. The people who would come in and they would feel very nervous about the idea of working for commission, even though that commission, A, put them in charge of their paycheck, and B, put them in a position where they could make more than the hourly wage that they were used to making. That's where I'm coming from when I say there's this illusion of security because people get so comfortable just getting their paycheck. After going through the pandemic, I think many people have been stricken with a dose of reality, some of us more intensely than others, like a cold shower waking us up to the truth that our jobs are not as secure as maybe we once believed. Maybe that's what's got us listening to this podcast. Maybe it's got us thinking about an alternative income source that might not be such a bad idea. The second letter, S, is self-employed or specialist. And here is where another illusion can happen. To me, it's almost worse than being an employee. And I've been both of these, mind you. And I've definitely, as I might say, drunk the Kool-Aid in this these illusions that I speak of. So in this corner, we have fooled ourselves into thinking that we are, quote, accomplished. We feel secure in the idea that we're in charge of making our paycheck and we don't rely on someone outside of us to provide, which that in itself is illusory because a business owner, self-employed or specialist isn't going to get any money unless you're relying on other people. It's coming from somewhere, sales usually, or, you know, as my dad was a business owner who was actually technically considered self-employed, if he didn't go into the marketplace and sell jobs in flooring, he didn't get a paycheck. But there is this illusion that we're in control of it somehow. And furthermore, we also have this illusion that we're accomplished that somehow we are a notch above, right? And it feels great. I'll be honest. I remember the feeling when I was co-owning that flooring company with my sister. It felt really good to be able to say, you know what? I'm a business owner. I could go to networking functions and say I'm a business owner. We had the corporation. We had the tax write-offs. We had all of the perks that come with owning a business, I even could say that I had some freedom in scheduling my day uh, around whatever I wanted to do. But at the end of the day, our income was directly related to the amount of time we put into the business. 
So that's what made it being self-employed. When we flip to the other side of quadrant in our minds, things start to open up. The B for business owner is just a short step up from self-employed. Really, the only difference is you start leveraging other people's time to make you money. My father's business was a perfect example because dad worked until basically the day he died and my sister and I kind of followed in his footsteps. But had any one of us at any point in time hired our replacements and then oversaw the operation, we would immediately become, as Robert Kiyosaki calls, business owners. Because we could have taken our kids to the park to play for the day, and the company would still be producing money. And the I section of the quadrant is the one that has the least amount of time investment. If somebody has the capital to jump to this section and wants to bypass time, or you just simply don't have it, this is not a bad way to go. I mean, if you look back at our pod, previous podcast with Jennifer, she talked about investing in the stock market with starting out with as little as $5 and building up and talking about the returns. And, and that would be a great way to jump into the investor quadrant um, pretty quickly. There's a lot of other opportunities too, and we'll dive into more of those as the podcast continues. Jumping back into mindset conversation, when I spoke about leveraging other people's time or money to benefit you, how does that make you feel? When I first heard it, I felt this tug of guilt. And initially, I wasn't quite fully aware of that exact feeling. I'll explain here in just a moment. But later, I discovered that it made me think of a slimy person who just uses others for their own gain. Do you feel that too? Does that cross your mind? I'll bet most people do. And it doesn't surprise me because our society is set to believe that the rich get rich off the hard work of others. Therefore, we feel guilty, those of us who've been that hardworking person, we feel guilty knowingly, quote, using other people, and we will judge ourselves as greedy, the same judgment that poor people pass to the rich. I know I'm guilty of this. I remember a time when I was 19. I was a service advisor at a dealership, and the service director seemed to hardly work at all. He sat at his desk all day, sometimes playing games on his phone, sometimes just talking to who knows who on the cell phone. He had a reputation among the staff for rising to the top by schmoozing people rather than working hard to earn the promotion. And there I was, all high and mighty at the ripe age of 19, right? Ha ha. <laughs> Working my fanny off, managing two cell phones and a desk phone, answering to my customers, to technicians, to the boss who seemed to be sitting around all day pushing around papers and pencils. I remembered how irritated I was at this injustice, how I felt so annoyed that the guys at the top got paid the most money to do the least amount of work. And boy, I sure knew the ways of the world then, right? Not. <laughs> but in reality, looking at this objectively, this experience proves two things. One, it shows that this experience had a deep impression on me because I vowed never to become like him. I promised myself I would always work hard to get anywhere in life, and I assured myself I would be in the trenches with my team, not just watching them from a glass office. The second thing it teaches us is that we don't know what we don't know. 
But as humans, we often like to surmise and in some cases just go along with the crowds and just like this. I mean, most of my assumptions about this manager were things that were told to me by other people. I had no idea really if they were true, but I certainly felt conviction in my decision about him, right? Looking back, I can see that the experience with that manager and that whole time working for for him, it only reinforced what my father had taught me. Being that he was a self-employed man whose life revolved around his business, he worked hard and he expected me to work hard. He was definitely a tough cookie when it came to meeting his expectations. I'll never forget one of his philosophies. I had stayed up late one night I don't even remember why. Hopefully it was for something fun. (laughs) The next morning he was waking me up early to get started on my day. And I just looked at him like, are you insane? I was up all night. And he just looked at me back and said, hey, if you want to play hard, you better plan on paying hard. Well, hot dog. It's no surprise that the ideologies of I must work hard to make money and using other people's money to further my success is greedy were so ingrained in me. And I'm certain that's so true for so many people. I mean, we've all heard the stories about people whose parents worked super hard and nothing was handed to them. And so they want to, you know, honor them by working hard also. The thing of it is, is at some point working hard doesn't pay off the way that we want it to, feeling like we're missing out. If you look back through history, decades after decades, there is a shift in society's general mental thought processes. Working hard was something that, you know, I would say probably the baby boomer era really embodied. And it's pretty common knowledge that the millennial era doesn't necessarily embody that that so strongly. And I fit right there in between. I'm born technically a millennial, but I think being raised by my dad, I took on so many characteristics of that work hard mentality that it actually ended up holding me back. Because one thing I've learned is you get out of life what you expect. I expected that I would have to work hard to make a living. And that's what I got. And this is where mindset becomes so critical. I want to talk about some things that I've done to overcome some of these deeply rooted belief systems. Because as it has been so ingrained in me, I'm certain that many of you struggle with these same philosophies. Your heart is saying, hey, it shouldn't be this hard. But your head is saying, you need to work harder. And it can feel very conflicting. So the first things first, you must become aware of it. We have to observe this tug of war going on between our heart and our mind. And part of that is becoming aware of the subtle nudges. I call it the icky feelings. (laughs) Such a sophisticated term, right? I sometimes will feel little icky feelings. So earlier when I said I felt a tug of guilt thinking about leveraging other people's time or money to further my agenda, I didn't necessarily know at the time that it was a feeling of guilt the first time I felt it. The first time, it felt just more like a decision, right? Like a a just final decision to pass on the idea of asking for help. Other times, my brain quickly processed the feeling into making excuses like I did when my husband said that I needed to expel the rocks from my backpack. My brain reacted so quickly out of habit that I didn't even notice the feeling. I have learned over time to become better at noticing the little, I call it like a flipping feeling in my tummy when something doesn't feel right. 
because sometimes we interpret that to mean that the answer isn't right. So in other words, when my husband said, take the rocks out of your backpack, and I felt that flipping feeling in my tummy, I interpreted it to mean, no, you're wrong. I need to keep these rocks in my backpack, right? But it's not what it meant. What it meant was my feelings about the situation were misguided. And later on, after doing well, a lot of hard work, and then some deep inner work, I was able to see that it was my perception that was creating the reality I was experiencing, and that things really did work when I was forced to delegate some of my tasks. So I hope that's helpful. I hope that makes sense. The second one is I reframe the thought. Now here, I want to talk about a societal belief that comes up sometimes in conversation. Have you ever seen someone with a really expensive item and think, oh my gosh, if I could afford that, I wouldn't ever buy that. Or have you heard the phrase, they're filthy rich, or they have so much money, it's disgusting. All of these just negative judgments about wealthy people. And where are those judgments coming from? Certainly not other wealthy people. (laughs) I can tell you that much. So One thing that um, happens, it's easy to want to make in our minds the idea of having wealth or having success financially is to make it something dirty or wrong so that we can justify our position. And when we do that, what are we doing? We're literally creating more of what we have, but yet secretly wishing Inside, yeah, if I could win the lottery, that would be great. Oh, I'd make sure to donate half of my proceeds to a charity. I mean, it's just, if you just think about it for a moment and and think of it from a perspective of society rather than just your own inner self, but you recognize that there are some really twisted beliefs we have about wealth in general. And it's important to become aware of this because we're surrounded by it every day. The second part of it is to then change your perspective. So my coworkers and I were recently talking almost about this exact thing. And somebody had said, yeah, my friend saw a guy driving this really nice Harley and thought, what a waste of money. If I could afford that motorcycle, there's so many better things I would do with my money. I would give it to a charity. I would do this. And as this person is judging this other person for having wealth and spending it frivolously, right? But when you think about it for just a moment, you really ponder the blessings that this rich person bestowed upon other people. Think about the lives he impacted by buying that motorcycle. The salesperson's getting the commission. The dealership owner is getting paid. The manufacturer of the motorcycle is getting paid. The manufacturer of the parts, the people who put it all together. Everybody in that entire chain has been blessed with his one purchase. Even, let's say, the mechanics who did the initial oil change on it and will continue to to service it. You see where I'm coming from? So that is a mindset shift. That is a different way to look at something, to open up and expand our, our mindset to say, hey, you know, sometimes it isn't what we think it is. There's more to the story. And if we just put it in a different frame of reference. So here's a little tip you can actually put into practice because You know, you may not have enough money to go buy a Harley today, and I totally respect that. (laughs) But the next time you go to Starbucks or to the grocery store or, you know, wherever you go to spend money, I want you to take a moment and think to yourself about how many people you're blessing with your purchase. 
rather than going up to the cash register and feeling that pit in your stomach that says, oh my gosh, I just spent $300 on groceries. Are you kidding me? That's so much money. And feeling empty, feel fulfilled. Change your mindset so that you can say, you know what? Look around you. How many people are employed? How many people are employed right there at that grocery store? How many people are employed at the manufacturers of the the food that you bought? How many people were employed to provide you with the cart you pushed around? How about to build the building? How about to build the, the car you drove to get there? I mean, the list could go on. If you just take some time to really get into a space of appreciation, you fill your cup up with good thoughts. That is a powerful way to change your mindset about money. Okay, the last tip I'm going to give you today to help you make a dramatic shift in your life is to feel as though, I call it, feel as though you've already attained that which you want. Let's say you want to make money while you sleep. This is actually something that I did before I even got to the idea of this whole podcast thing. I would visualize, uh, some people call it, there's a word for it, I think scripting, but I don't necessarily write it down. Sometimes I just do it visually. Sometimes I write it down. But the important part of it is to feel the feeling of whatever it is you're trying to create for yourself. For me, I pictured myself at my kid's birthday party and I had the feeling of knowing that money was coming into my bank account while I was playing with my kids or watching the birthday party. I imagined going to bed with a smile on my face knowing that I would wake up to a bank account that was bigger than what it was when I went to sleep. It might sound silly to you or fanciful, but the thing that happens when we change our mindset like this is we lift ourselves up and open ourselves up to the possibilities that are around us. You see, we live in a world filled with infinite possibilities. If the idea of making money in our sleep wasn't possible, it would never occur to us. The fact that God has inspired us to have the desire means that it's possible. And sometimes we have to meet God halfway. And to do that, we have to change our mindset in order to be able to receive his blessings. And the other way to look at that is, imagine if we didn't change our mindset. Imagine if God just blessed us with millions of dollars. We win the lottery. Why do you suppose so many lottery winners end up broke? because they don't change their mindset, right? They, they treat their millions like they treated their hundreds and they end up back where they started from. So my friends, I hope you found this episode helpful. I hope that you feel empowered to believe that you can achieve the financial dreams that you have. If you haven't done so already, friends, click that subscribe button. Click it right now because moving forward is going to be an adventure into passive income systems and strategies and you're going to want to be a part of this podcast. Lastly, I want to remind you I'm here for you. If you feel stuck, don't be afraid to reach out. You may also want to join my Facebook community as a way to connect with me. You can do that by uh, looking up Facebook groups, the Passive Income Examiner community. Pretty basic, so it's easy to find. 
Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to the Passive Income Examiner podcast. I just want to give a big thank you for listening. And in celebration of my launch, I'm giving away a gift pack that includes a $50 Amazon gift card, a Tools for Wisdom 18-month planner, and a 30-minute strategy session with me. Here's how you can win. Head over to iTunes and leave me a starred review, then screenshot that review and tag me on Instagram at the Passive Income Examiner. I'll announce the winner the first week of November. Today, friends, let's empower others who are also looking to escape the rat race and find a better way because we actually can make money while we sleep.